All right. We are getting down to the end. Here's what we're going to surprise people, because we always, you know, sort of um, wane at the end of the year as far as our attendance on Wednesday night, and then like in the new year, we like pick it back up because everybody's like, oh yeah, I got to get back to church on Wednesday night. Here's a surprise for them. After two weeks of finishing up 1 Timothy, we're going to start a new series this year. So if they wait till next year to start coming, they're going to be jumping into the middle of something instead of thinking that they're jumping into the beginning of something. You are going to be, now you see, we were there in November and December. We were there. So anyway, uh, I will tell you this ahead of time, because we are now into November, that uh, we will uh, have Wednesday night Bible study all the way through the 14th of December, but we will not have Bible study on the 21st or the 28th, so the Wednesday before Christmas and the Wednesday after Christmas. So, you know, we've got, what, five or six more to go at this point? Uh, But anyway, I'll be finishing up 1 Timothy next week. And then we're going to be starting 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is actually one of my favorite books. It's all about teaching us about endurance and perseverance. And the reason I think I wanted to share that with you tonight is because, in a sense, that's what Paul wants to even begin to talk to Timothy about tonight. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to begin in verse 11, even though we touched on verse 11 last week. Uh, That's where I'd like to begin tonight. And so let's again remember the context here. Paul is mentoring and discipling this young pastor. He's encouraging him and supporting him to hang in there in this local church in Ephesus that has all these issues. And he's saying, Timothy, you got to stay at your post. You got to continue to teach people the word of God. You got to correct the false teachers. What you are engaged in is too important to leave your post. Hang in there. All right? And then last week he was talking about the fact that so many, even Christians, get caught up in straining their muscles, if you will, and reaching for the material, physical things of this world and not prioritizing the spiritual. And Paul says in verse 11, But you... A person dedicated to God, keep away from all that. Don't go after the things that others are going after. Instead, you pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. And we saw last week that the word pursue is a key word. It means to give great effort towards something. And I use the illustration of a hound on a hunt. And Paul is saying that's the mentality that you and I need. We need to go after the things of the Lord, and be devoted to the things of God and to God Himself. By the way, the phrase person dedicated to God in verse 11 describes someone who is equipped in the Word of God. Let me read these verses to you out of 2 Timothy. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be equipped capable and equipped for every good work. The only other time that phrase is used in the New Testament, it's used in reference to someone being equipped in or by the Word of God. So, with that said, let's move down to verse 12. Compete well, Paul says to Timothy, 
for the faith. Many times as a Christian, when we're struggling in life, we automatically assume that we must have done something wrong. That's why we're struggling. I want to submit to us tonight to consider that many times in our life when we're struggling, it's actually because we're doing something right. Because what Paul is saying here is if you and I are committed to gaining spiritual ground in our life, to grow, to pursue the things of God, and to gain new ground, and to leave behind the things of the earth and that they're not the priority that they used to be, that we're going to struggle because there's going to be all these forces that are opposing us gaining new ground. And then not only us, but then if we are desirous, if, if we're wanting God to use our lives to inspire and motivate other Christians to do the same thing, then that even accentuates it. That even multiplies it. Because, let's go back even to Sunday's message. First of all, our flesh isn't going to buy into that. The old man is not going to cooperate with the pursuit of more and more godly stuff. The world around us of unbelievers certainly isn't going to stand up and applaud and support us in that venture. And obviously the devil and all the demonic forces of hell are not going to buy into that either. So we're going to have all this opposition against us when we try to gain new ground spiritually. And then especially, as I said, if we try to bring others along. Well, that's exactly what Timothy was doing. Timothy was a pastor of a church who was not only trying to keep growing himself, but he was trying to bring along all the people in his church. And so Paul says to Timothy these very important words, Timothy, you have got to compete well for the faith. The words compete well in the Greek language are a very descriptive word. They are the word agonizomai. Well, you can just tell by that word, what word in the English do we get out of agonizomai? Agony. Paul says, Timothy, you have got to be willing to agonize over the pursuit of the things of God and to gaining new ground. In fact, let me even say this. The word agon, which is part of the word agonizomai in the Greek language, means to struggle. Paul says, Timothy... You have got to keep being willing to struggle, to agonize. It came to also mean to compete with an adversary, to enter into the ring and wrestle. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, you've got to have that mindset and you've got to build that mindset into everybody in your church. That if we're going to gain new ground, it's not going to be handed to us. We've got to enter the arena and we've got to fight for it, if you will. We've got to struggle for it. We've got to be willing to agonize over it. It's not just going to come automatically. See, there's this thing in, this, in the Christian life, in the spiritual world, where our salvation was absolutely a free gift based on God's grace and just simply by our faith. But then after you and I are saved, again, to 
to gain all of Christ, to gain all of what eternal life is that God has given us, that demands our unbelievable, full-hearted devotion and effort. You and I are never going to gain all that God gave us when He saved us if we're not willing to put forth the effort after we're saved. All we need to do to be saved is faith. But after we become a Christian, in order to again wrap our, begin to wrap our arms around all that God has for us and all that He wants us to experience... That takes our effort. That takes us being willing to compete well. And this has been a message from Paul to Timothy and to his congregation in Ephesus, really from the very beginning. Let's recall that verse back in chapter 1, verse 18. Just take a second to look at it with me. Where Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 18, Fight the good fight at the end of verse 18. Fight the good fight fight, be willing to go to battle, to fight, to enter the arena, to compete with the adversary, to put forth great effort, you see. When we struggle, again, don't automatically go, I must have done something wrong. Because many times, If we are headed down the path of gaining new ground as a church, gaining new ground individually and whatever, we're also going to struggle. We're going to have to be willing to compete with our adversaries. Because our flesh, the old man, the world, and again, the demonic forces of evil will seek to oppose us at every turn. And we can't just think that I'm going to gain new ground but it's going to be easy. Correlate it to the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament after God delivered them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. He said, I've got this promised land out there for you. It's there. It's waiting for you. But you've got to go in and you've got to possess it. You've got to be willing to drive out the people that are already there. You've got to be willing to fight for it. You've got to be willing to contend. You've got to struggle a little bit. I'm not just going to hand it over to you. Because God, is, in His infinite wisdom, says that struggle is good. Struggle grows us. And struggle also shows us how much something means to us if we're willing to struggle and fight and battle for it, you see. If something really doesn't have an importance in our life, then we probably would give up on it pretty quickly and pretty easily. We wouldn't compete well for it. So Paul says to Timothy, compete well for the Be a model in your church that you will not quit. You will not give up when the going gets tough. You will put your head down and with the Lord's strength and capability and and resources, you are going to stand there and you are going to fight the enemy. You see. You're going to struggle. And you're going to agonize. And some days or some weeks, it might seem like three steps forward, two steps back, but you are not going to give up. Now, I want to share with you, too, very interestingly tonight, two other places in the New Testament where this word in the Greek language is used. And very interestingly, 
It's used always in the context of bringing other Christians to spiritual maturity. Which is, again, sort of what Paul's saying here to this pastor. He's saying, Timothy, not only should you be wanting to gain new ground, you should be wanting to help others gain new ground too. But that makes us even a particular target, especially from our spiritual enemy. Because it's one thing for us to say, I want to gain new ground for me. It's a whole other level to say, I want you, God, to use my life to help other Christians gain new ground. Then we really become a threat. So I want you to see this tonight. And they're both in the book of Colossians, very interestingly. So this one reference here in 1 Timothy 6.12, and then in Colossians. So first, if you find the book of Colossians, go with me first of all to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. Actually, I'm going to begin at verse 28 to to get the run-up to it, if you will. Paul says, We proclaim Him, Jesus Christ, by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. That's the context. Then notice verse 29. Toward this goal I also labor, and here it is, struggling according to His power that powerfully works in me. The word struggling there is the same Greek word, agonizomai, that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 6.12, that's translated, compete well. Paul says, I'm struggling. Yes, I'm struggling with the power of God that powerfully works in me, but it's still a struggle to bring other people to maturity in Christ. It's not easy. It is a slow-going slog of a process. It seems like we're only gaining inches at a time. But we've got to keep up the struggle. And then, chapter 4, verse 12. Paul references Epaphras. And notice what he says in Colossians 4, 12 about this man, Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a slave of Christ, greets you. He is always agonizomai, struggling in prayer, notice, on your behalf, and then notice the purpose, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Struggling in prayer. Why is prayer a struggle? Again, our flesh doesn't like it. The world doesn't like it. The devil doesn't like it. There's going to be lots of opposition every time we pray. And especially, folks, especially not only when we're praying for us, but when we're praying for other believers to be mature and to grow and to gain more ground spiritually. The devil hates it. He will do everything he can to oppose it. And you and I have to be willing to get in there and compete and face the adversary and wrestle, you see. It's not going to be easy. It's never going to be easy to take more ground spiritually. But God is looking for those, as Paul said here, who's willing to get in to the arena, get into the ring and face the adversary and agonize and struggle. Why? Because what we are struggling for, notice back in 1 Timothy 6.12, is the faith. The faith. That that core of beliefs that that the church has always believed in 
The truth of Jesus Christ and His redemptive plan. The things that sets people free and transforms our lives. Paul says, this is worth struggling over. This is worth this is worth the blood, sweat, and tears that you and I will put into it. It's worth it. And God wants to see from us that we believe it's worth it enough to struggle for it. You see. Because again, in God's infinite wisdom, in struggling for it, we not only show that this is a priority, that this is, this is very important to us. But we trust the Lord in saying that, God, I know that in this struggle that I'm going through to gain more ground for myself and for other believers, it will benefit and profit me too. You see. Compete well for the faith. In fact, keep your finger there in 1 Timothy I want to share with you this reference to the importance of the faith from the book of Jude. Jude is easy to find. It's the next to last book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And it's only one chapter, 25 verses. So it, it, you can miss it because it's very, very short. But I want you to go to the book of Jude, verses 3 and 4. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jude writes this, Dear friends, although I have been eager to write to you about our common salvation, which would have been a wonderful topic, by the way. Great to talk about our salvation. Very uplifting and encouraging. He says, But I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to write to encourage you, notice, to contend earnestly for the what? The faith. The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. He's not talking here again when the article does in front of faith. He's not talking about the act of trusting or believing in God. He's talking about these body of beliefs that all of us believe in. He said, we've got to contend earnestly for the faith. God entrusted us with this truth. For then he goes on to say in verse 4, For certain men have secretly slipped in among you, men who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who twist and turn the word of God. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, compete well for the faith. Maybe you're struggling. I want to encourage you tonight. Your struggle may be not because you've done something wrong or you're doing something wrong. It may very well be that you're struggling because you're doing something right. And all the winds of opposition and everything is coming against you and you're just having to just sort of lean in and just keep on taking one step at a time. Is it hard some days? Absolutely. Do I feel like I'm just going up against all this resistance? Yes, absolutely. You will. You will. And can I tell you, that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to be part of a body of believers, a close-knit body of believers. Because if, if we were dealing with all this on our own and we didn't have other friends that we could talk to about these things and, and share with, we might think it's us or we're the only ones going through this. But when you become part of a close-knit body of believers, you start realizing that 
Oh my goodness, my brother or sister is going through the same thing. I, they're, they're having the same struggles and the same, because what that does is that, that, that just knits us together even more. And then we can begin to encourage and support and pray for one another. And realize that we're all in this together. And if we're all moving to try to gain new ground spiritually, then all of us are going to face that resistance. You see. And that's why we need to compete well for the faith. Well, so that we get through more than five words tonight, let's move on. He says, compete well for the faith and lay hold, First Timothy 6.12, of that eternal life. You were called for and made your good confession for in the presence of many witnesses. Lay hold of that eternal life. Now, when you and I become a Christian, we receive eternal life. Yes. But Paul says as a Christian, we have got to get to the point where we lay hold of it. This takes personal personal initiative and focused resolve. Why? Because Paul is saying that even though I have it, I've got to seize it and take what is mine. You see, you and I can possess something, but it's not really sort of working for us, if you know what I mean. Let me use this as an illustration, and this may be a very lame illustration, but at the moment, this is the best thing my little tiny brain can come up with. Maybe somewhere along the line, you were blessed or you inherited this large piece of property. Nice piece of property. I mean, it's a piece of property that you could build on. You, you, could, you could grow things on. You could have a harvest. Uh, You could develop. There's all kinds of possibilities on this land. You possess it. But Paul is saying there are so many believers that have eternal life, but it just sort of sits there. They, They don't do anything with it. They don't lay hold of it. It's why Christians are not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talks about. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, how come so many Christians aren't experiencing then this abundant life? Because we're not laying hold of that eternal life. We possess it like that great land, but we've never really built anything on it. We've never grown anything. We've never developed anything. We've never invested in this eternal life that we've been given. And Paul says, that is so important. Again, think of the promised land. God said, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you, but you've got to put forth the effort to get in there, to drive them out, to to take hold of it, to possess it, to work for it. And then even once you get in there and it's yours, you've got to put forth the effort of planting and and growing things, and all of these things, and then you will gain a harvest out of it, but you've got to do it. I'm not going to do it for you. I'll supply the sun and the rain, but you've got to do what you can do. And the tragedy of the whole story of the Israelites in the promised land is they never really did possess all that God had for them. They didn't. They never have. 
and even the land that they possessed. They disobeyed God by not completely driving out the enemy. They tried to sort of coexist. And we can see even to this day how that has ended tragically throughout history. And then they never developed the land like God said that they should. So, again, they never really experienced all that God had for them because even though it was there, it was right in front of them. And God would have been with them every step of the way for them to lay hold of it. They never did really lay hold of it. Can I tell you, that's one of the great motivations that I have in my life for us as a church. Because not only does God have a plan and purpose for us individually, He has a plan and purpose for us corporately. And I don't want to miss out on one thing that God has for us. I want to lay hold of everything so that when you and I stand before the Lord in glory, we can say, Lord, I finished my course. I kept the faith. We did as a, as a local community of believers everything you wanted us to do. We followed you every step of the way. That's what Paul's saying here. Compete well for the faith and lay hold of that eternal life. Notice then I think Paul references Timothy as this young pastor, his ordination, where Paul says, and remember Timothy, you made in front of many witnesses a good confession. In a sense, you agreed with what I just have spoken about. You agreed that that eternal life needed to be laid hold of. You agreed that if you and I were going to gain any ground spiritually and that your church was going to gain, you needed to be willing to agonize and struggle and compete with the You agreed with all that. That's what the word confession means, to agree. That's why the Bible says if we will confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all. Confess is just simply agreeing with God. Yes, God, that, that was sin. I was wrong. That's what confession is. And he's trying to inspire Timothy here by saying, go back to, to the things you believed in and don't ever, don't ever waver from those things that you've always believed from the very beginning. From the time you were first saved to the time you were ordained into the gospel ministry. Don't let the pressures and the opposition and all of that ever get to you to the point where you don't stay true to who you are and who you've always said that you wanted to be. And then he uses the example of Jesus himself. Verse 13. I charge you before God who gives life to all things. In fact, there is no life apart from God. God gives us physical life. He gives us spiritual life. It's all from Him. And I think he's also encouraging Timothy here by saying, He's the one that gives us life and, and, he, and our lives are in His hands. Therefore, Timothy, trust Him. And trust everything you have to Him. For he says, Jesus Christ also made a good confession before Pontius Pilate. 
And if you want to read about that, you can go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and begin at verse 28, and read about Jesus' interaction, if you will, with Pilate. The main thing that Paul's reminding us of there is when Jesus stood before Pilate, he was true to who he was. Remember, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus said, are you saying that because you heard that from somebody else, or is that your conviction? You see. But Jesus stood before Pilate and was true to who he was. He gave Pilate the truth. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. I don't reign over an earthly kingdom at this point. I reign over a spiritual kingdom. My kingdom is a redemptive kingdom that I reign over through the hearts of individuals. And now we are seeking to gain ground spiritually on this earth. But it's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy to gain ground for the kingdom. Because there are spiritual dark forces against us. But Jesus was true to who he was and to the truth even before Pilate. And so Paul's trying to, again, inspire and motivate Timothy by using Jesus as the example. And then he says in verse 14, to obey this command, to watch over it, to guard it, to maintain it without fault or failure, notice, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, Timothy, so many Christians started off well, but didn't finish well. He said, I want you to cross that finish line. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop struggling. Don't stop competing. Don't stop laying hold of that eternal life until you see Jesus. Hang in there to the very, very end. Finish well and follow through. And can I tell you, that's what the whole book of 2 Timothy that we're going to study is all about. How to follow through in our lives. How to finish strong and well. How to persevere and endure. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. How do we hang in there as a church and as individuals over the long haul, especially in the struggle? Can I tell you, that's again why so many Christians drop out. Why? Because they're too weak to continue the struggle. You and I need to be strong to continue to struggle and fight the enemy and put up with all the resistance and the pressure and all that. If we're not strong spiritually, we will just throw up our hands and say, I'm done. And that's why you see the Bible predict that in the last days, many, many Christians will just turn away and say, that's it, I'm done. Because again, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and all of that is not the priority They're looking for easy fixes and easy answers and they're looking for an easy life. And when Jesus calls us to follow Him, it is a life of total surrender and abandonment to Him. And He never promised us it would be easy to follow Him. Which is why even when He was on earth, many of those who initially started to follow Him started to drop out, just like we've just talked about. Many of His disciples just said, Nope. I'm done. This is too hard. I think I've shared this with you before, and I obviously I won't mention any names. That wouldn't be appropriate. But we had a few people who helped us start the church here at the Oasis now almost seven years ago. 
And obviously they're not with us anymore. And uh, one of the reasons is because they, they turned to me one day and said, this is too hard. We're looking to just be able to go to church, sit in the back, just sort of, you know, enjoy the worship time and then hear a little message and then go home. And this is too hard. And I, you know, there was a part of me that was frustrated. There was a part of me that was angry. But there was a part of me that actually felt sorry for them. Because I thought, if that really is your mentality, if that's your mindset, you will never experience all that God has for you. Because you're not willing to do the hard thing. You're not willing to struggle and compete well for the faith. You're always looking for some kind of easy road or easy life. And what does Jesus say? He said, there are many roads that lead to that. But he said, there's the narrow road and it is difficult and few choose to go down that path that really leads to life. Laying hold of eternal life. And then I love this. We're going to end with this tonight. And I thought of our worship here, and I thought of, of Nicole and our worship team, and then the song, and all, because it's very interesting to me that at this point, Paul is, is sort of transitioning, and he, and, and he says, Now, Timothy, here's something for you and something for your people. This will sustain you in your struggle. And what will sustain us in our struggle? is when we remind ourselves of who Jesus is and the position that Jesus has in the universe. In a sense, what Paul is ending this passage with is worship. Because worship is always when we are reminded of who Jesus is and the position that Jesus holds in the universe. For this reason, you and I, even as Christians even as dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, can get so caught up in the struggle that we lose sight of the Savior. And what we have to do in the midst of the struggle is always keep that tie, if you will, between us in our struggle and the Lord where He is and who He is. That will keep our heads from getting so caught up in the struggle that we begin to drown in the struggle and get discouraged in the struggle and get into despair in the struggle. And it's through that line, if you will, of worship. Of going, oh, now wait a minute. You might be having a really hard day, but let's be reminded, who's Jesus? And what position does Jesus have in the universe? So notice what Paul says who's appearing, the one who is coming back that you and I need to be faithful until we see Him, the blessed, the one who extends His benefits to us, and the only sovereign, the one who is in control and in charge, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, will reveal at the right time, which is 
God's time. Then notice verse 16. He alone possesses immortality. It literally means he owns deathlessness. That's what immortality is. Deathlessness. He owns it. And he lives in inaccessible or unapproachable light. Paul's saying, do you realize that, that in a sense where God centers himself, his throne that, we, that he reveals to us, and, and again, God is omnipresent, and yet he sort of centers himself for, for our benefit of trying to understand and wrap our minds around an infinite God. He centers himself in this throne area of heaven where this glory is, this light this radiance, this brightness, this splendor. And Paul says, you realize that God is so holy and so full of light that you and I can't even even approach it, much less be able to even see. We'd, we'd, We'd be instantaneously blinded and vaporized trying to even come close to Him in all of His brilliance, in all of His glory. Every time he has revealed himself, it's always because he he has chosen to sort of diminish, if you will, and turn down his glory. I mean, that was Jesus on earth. I mean, there were a few times where he ramped it up a little bit, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm just going to give you a flash here, guys, because you, you couldn't stand it all. And even that was like, oh, my goodness. Even Isaiah in the Old Testament, he, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, but, but it, was just, it was just momentary and it was just, it was just the thing that God could allow a human being to see. But God could never reveal himself in all of himself. It'd be too much for us. Whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. And what does this do to Paul even at this point? Notice as he, as he reminds himself of who Jesus is and the position that Jesus has in the universe, the first thing that Paul does isn't say, now Jesus, could you do this for me? Could you do that? For-? And again, not that it's wrong. We need to ask, seek, and knock. But notice the first thing that Paul does. He worships. The first thing he does when he's reminded of who Jesus is and the position that Jesus holds in the universe is he worships him. Because he says... To Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. To Him be the preeminence is what the word honor means. Let Him occupy first place. And that's what Paul said to the Colossians. In Him, Jesus should have first place preeminence. Because if we really believe this is who He is and this is the place in the universe that He occupies, oh my goodness, what or anything or Anyone else should should never take his place. And he should have dominion through the exercise of his strength throughout all eternity. Amen, Paul says. When it comes at the end of a sentence, it's an exclamation. It means, so be it. So be it. Life can be a struggle, especially for you and I that want to gain more ground for ourselves spiritually and lay hold of that eternal life, lay hold of it. 
Not just possess it because we're a Christian, but truly lay hold of it and, and get out of this eternal life. I mean, squeeze out of it every drop that we can before we see Jesus. But that means we're going to have to be willing to struggle and agonize and contend and wrestle with adversaries and opposition. And there are many things that will sustain us in the struggle, that will keep us going. But to me, the most important thing that will keep us going is when we continually remind ourselves of who Jesus is and the position that Jesus holds in the universe. And we continuously have a heart attitude of worship. Because without a lifestyle of worship, the struggles can begin to sort of close in on us. And it's almost like, I'll say it this way, the clouds of life become so thick here on earth that just like there, unless you get in a plane, we lose our perspective of that blue sky and the wonder above the clouds. All of a sudden, life becomes just these dark clouds. And it's only through our worship and recognition and acknowledgement of Jesus can, can we break through those clouds and really see that there really is nothing but blue sky above that bank of clouds. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was saying, Timothy, don't ever forget who our God is. And use that to to encourage yourself. If, If he's allowing you to struggle, it's not because there's any kind of struggle up there. He's he's got everything under control. Always has, always will. He's always in charge. He's always ruling. He's always keeping everything sustained in the entire universe. Nothing's out of control. Nothing's beyond Him. So be encouraged, Timothy. And teach your people that as well. That if He's allowing the struggle, it's because He wants to see in us that we believe in something so strongly that we're willing to fight for it and go to battle for it and compete for it. And secondly, we trust Him, the One that lives in unapproachable light, that He knows that the struggles that we're going through in order to gain more ground spiritually is actually making us stronger and it's benefiting and profiting us and profiting and benefiting those around us. Let me again leave you with these words that I hope will ring in your ears throughout the rest of this week. Compete well for the faith and lay hold of that eternal life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great passage of encouragement tonight. We all can be going through struggles. Sometimes, Lord, the days are hard It seems like we're just constantly coming up against opposition and resistance. It seems like everything that we try to do just blows up. But yet, God, we've got to remember that the struggle's all worth it. 
It's worth it in our lives. It's worth it in our brothers' and sisters' lives. And God, we've got to remember and remind ourselves of who you are in all of this. That you are the Lord of glory. You are the sovereign ruler of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your majesty is beyond our comprehension. The light that you dwell in, we can't even begin to approach. So God, may we be encouraged that you know exactly what's going on in our lives and you're watching out and you're guarding and you're caring for us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to get discouraged. We don't need to worry about what's going on on earth if we remember who's ruling from heaven. God, encourage us tonight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next week.